Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. This morning, as I said, we're taking uh, from our reading plan. Last week, we touched the book of Habakkuk, and I want to talk to you this morning about approaching God by looking at how this biblical character approached God. This Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk, he, uh, he's an interesting prophet, and his book is interesting in that he's not really bringing an oracle from God necessarily to the people. His short book, it's only three chapters, is all about his interaction with God, how he approached God, God's answer to him, and I think we can learn something from it, even being so many years after. Uh, First, who was this guy? Who was this man named Habakkuk, who was a prophet of God? Well, he's somewhat of a mystery. We don't really know much about him. The opening line from his book really gives us the entire biographical information that we have. Biblically, and it says a prophet of God. That's it. That's all we. That's all we know. Habakkuk, a prophet. Chapter one, verse one. But the last chapter, chapter three. It's a beautiful psalm. If you read the book, you know that it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm about the Lord that uh, Habakkuk wrote, and it begins with this musical uh, notation, which is something that we see often through the book of Psalms. So it gives us a hint that maybe, potentially, possibly, this man, Habakkuk, might have been in a line of prophets that King David had set up to, uh, to honor God and the house of God on the stringed instruments. And... At the end of that psalm, it closes by saying, this is for the stringed instruments. So it's possible that he was a a prophet in the temple using instruments. We also learn from his interaction with God that he was likely contemporary with Jeremiah. We talked about Jeremiah last week. And from this interaction we see in the book of Habakkuk, we can conclude that He was interacting with God after the reign of uh, good King Josiah. We talked a little bit about the kings in this land or this kingdom called Judah last week. Josiah oversaw somewhat of a spiritual revival, but it didn't really last very long. Just a little over a decade, about 12 years or so, and then Josiah died, and all the kings after him were wicked. They led the people into depravity and into idolatry. And Habakkuk was around this time, this declining time. And that's about what we know of this particular biblical character. And it's not very much. And it might leave you thinking, well, how how in the world can I relate to this guy? I really don't know anything about him. Maybe I know a little bit about the time frame he, he was preaching, but that's about it. Sometimes I think that helps us relate more because he becomes any man or any woman. We can, we can 
relate to him better, not knowing all these details about his uh, personality, etc. And I really feel we can relate to what the occasion was that is discussed in his book. Because the man was troubled. He was burdened. He was carrying something heavy. He was troubled about the culture around him. And he was troubled and burdened about the state of his nation, this kingdom of Judah. And he was also troubled with the state of the religion because the people had fallen into worshiping false gods and idolatry. It seemed everything around him was declining. And I think those are all burdens and troubles we can relate to. We can look around at the culture of the 21st century America and we can say it's going down fast. How in the world can all this be happening? And it influences things. The culture influences everything around it. And we even see that it's affected the, the state of uh, the nation. We can see it's affected the state of even Christian churches. The way some believe have altered and changed because of what's happening in and around in the culture. So I think we can relate to this. And Habakkuk was burdened as he approached God. And he came with kind of an attitude. He was a little bit argumentative. And his narrative, though it's short, it somewhat parallels Job. Because we know Job, he kind of got a little strong with God. He came on strong. But Job was personally suffering. The man had pains in his body that were indescribable. And so we might think, okay, it was all right for him to have such an attitude. Habakkuk's trouble wasn't necessarily pain in his own body, but he was pained. And he was burdened with everything that he was witnessing all around him. He was a little confused as to how God was dealing with all of this. And it led him to, the, to a place where he just cried out to God. His approach, it comes across as sincere, it's, it's genuine, but a little bit of an attitude. He's argumentative and even admitted he's got a complaint. So his approach was like, hey God, hey! God, I've got some questions. Have you ever approached God like that? <laughs> You're just troubled. You, you've kind of reached the end of your rope. And you want an answer. This thing's been burning in your gut. It's been churning around inside you, these, these questions. You've been carrying it to the point where you're just you're blurting it out. Hey, God, hey, I need an answer. And that's seemingly what Habakkuk did. Let's read uh, his opening question. This is Habakkuk 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It begins, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. That's all that. That's the biographical sketch, verse 1. And then his question how long, Lord, must I call for help? 
but you do not listen or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. When justice never prevails, the wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Well, that's some kind of prayer, isn't it? I mean, you can imagine the passion this man must have when he cries out to God. He's troubled because of these questions. And what does it seem to him? God, you're not listening. Hey, God, how long must I cry out? But you don't listen. And no one's being saved. How long? How long, Lord? The prophet cried. He's got this attitude. He's got an edge. And I think you can pick that up just reading those first few verses. There's violence and there's injustice in Judah. And he he, he seems to have an implication here in his approach to God. And he implies that the problems with the nation, the problems in Judah, it's because God has not intervened. Seems to be making it God's fault. God, you haven't intervened. So the land is full of idolatry and lawlessness. Hey God, there is no justice. The law of the Lord has been perverted because you're tolerating it. You're not doing anything. Why? Why do you tolerate it? These questions really aren't that unusual. And I think most of us at one time or another, we've probably felt this way, if not even approached God in such a way. When we've been wondering, what is going on? God, how can this happen? I wonder, do you even hear me at all? And the first thing that we might learn and take away from this interaction between God and the prophet is that if we go to God with this, this, such a burning question inside, and if we've got a bit of an edge and maybe we're a little bit argument, uh, argumentative and perhaps even blaming God for the trouble, and we say, hey God, hello, I've been crying out to you and you're not listening. If that ever happens, be prepared for the answer. I, I think from the imp- from reading this first four verses, there's an implication that Habakkuk wanted this to go a certain direction. He got an answer. Let's read the answer. Because I wonder if he was ready for what God was going to say to him. So this is verse 5 through 11 of chapter 1. We continue. This is God's reply after Habakkuk comes with this burning question. God comes back and he says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. 
They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and they scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Well, that's the answer the prophet received to his burning question. It was very straightforward. It was direct, right to the point. Habakkuk was concerned that God wasn't doing anything, that he was tolerating all this injustice in the land. And how did God reply? I am going to do something. Come with that attitude. Be prepared. Not only that, Habakkuk, it's going to be in your days. You're going to see it, and you won't even believe it. What was God going to do? He said, I'm sending in the Babylonians. They are feared. They're the dreaded superpower that is sweeping the earth. What are they like? They're like leopards. They're like wolves. They're like eagles. They come in hordes. They're gathering prisoners like sand. It's a pretty clear message. They're coming for Judah. Was the prophet prepared to hear such a thing? I don't think it was what he wanted to hear. Would you be prepared for such an answer? You go to the Lord, you're bitter, you're complaining, you got something that's been bothering you so much. God responds, but it's really not what you wanted to hear. Now, now what? Well, Habakkuk is gonna, he's going back to the Lord. How might you respond? How might I respond? And I'd say I'd probably respond like Habakkuk. I'd, I, I, I'll say this is, I'd be probably worse than how he's gonna respond because he protested. He protested. He said this back to the Lord. We pick up again in verse 12 of chapter one, just following through chapter one. We're gonna go to the first verse of chapter two. Habakkuk responding to the Lord. He said, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made people like fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls on them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and he burns incense to his dragnet. 
For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So it seems Habakkuk really wasn't too happy with what the Lord said to him. He put up kind of a a pretty staunch protest. Oh, yeah, God, sure. You're the one to execute judgment. And you've selected these evil people, the evil Babylonians, to do it. Hey, God, no way. I've got something to say back to you. No way. Your eyes are too pure to look on this. How could you look on such evil? Why would you allow the Babylonians to do this? After all, they catch people like fish. Their army's like this huge net that just goes along and sweeps people up. And they're so powerful, that's what they worship. They worship their own power. They're a god unto themselves. God, why will you stand by and let the wicked, these Babylonians, do this? How can you be silent, Lord, when they swallow up those more righteous than themselves? That's verse 13. And now I think we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. Now I think we've exposed the root of Habakkuk's problem with God's answer. And what was it? He let it loose. He blurted it out. He verbalized it. God, we're better than those people. We're more righteous than those Babylonians. They worship themselves. They're heathens. They're idolaters. Have you ever had such a thought? We're better than them. Should be obvious to God. What's the problem, God? Don't you get it? Don't you see this? Maybe God needs a reminder. That's what I always thought when I was growing up with my own mother. So I know many of you know I, I come from a large family. Six brothers and two sisters. I never really fought with my sisters. But hey, I had six brothers, so yeah, we had some knockdown dragouts. I, I mean, for most of my years growing up, there was five boys in one room. So real estate could be some, become something you argued about. There's one closet. I think we had two dressers, five beds. So yeah, there would be times of stress. And at certain times, you'd hear mom call out, cut it out, I'm coming up there. So that might calm you down. But there were times when mom come in the room and my mother had a stick. And she'd always say, don't let me get my stick. It was about the size of a yardstick, but triple wide. She had this black handle on it and she could wield it with expert precision. And if we were in some kind of fisticuffs in the room upstairs and mom came up, Let me tell you, she would just like take that stick and whack. And yeah, I got it a couple of times, right? And what would happen? I'm in a fight with one of my brothers. 
We are, we're, we're oblivious to what's happening and crack, that stick hits me. And I'm like, mom, it's not my fault. He started it. Don't you know I'm the good one? I'm the good one here. Why are you cracking me? And isn't that our attitude sometimes? Like, shouldn't it be obvious? I'm the good kid. Don't you know he's the one who's always instigating? Sometimes she'd wait and give him a crack too. But that's our attitude sometimes. I didn't start this. I'm the good one. Isn't it obvious, Mom? Isn't it obvious, God? And sometimes it, 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 it just, that's our attitude, and it seems like that's what this prophet Habakkuk was thinking. Really, Lord, we're the good ones. We're righteous. I don't understand why you don't see that. How can you stand by and watch this wicked people swallow up those who are more righteous than they are? And I wonder if it's ever been our thought and prayer. Have we gone to God with that attitude? God, I'm, I am better than them. I've got troubles, but I'm better than them. Or perhaps it's even more personal. I'm better than he is, or I'm better than she is. I'm more righteous, Lord, so hear my prayer. And it, if you're holding up your righteousness before God, Make sure you have a good understanding of what it means to be righteous in the sight of God. No doubt, Habakkuk, he was convinced Judah was better than Babylon. But he was confused a bit about what righteousness was all about. And he was somewhat indignant with God. God, I can't believe you'd allow such a disaster. And then what does he say? Now I'm going to stand here. I'm going to stand my watch. I'm going to be on these ramparts. And I'll be waiting. I'm listening. I'll be waiting for what you got to say. Standing on the ramparts. A ramparts, a, it's a fortified wall or tower. It's a, a defense mechanism. The city of Jerusalem had walls all around. It was like Habakkuk was daring God. Hey, God, I'm going up on the wall like a watchman, waiting for the enemy, because I don't believe these Babylonians are coming. I'm going to go up there and watch and see what's happening. And I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and I'm listening for you to answer me. Feels like he kind of put out this dare. Well, God answered. God answered again. And this is what the Lord said, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now there's a whole bunch more in chapter number two. I want to stop here at verse number four. God said, 
the enemy, Habakkuk, the enemy, Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, they are puffed up, they're prideful, they're proud, their desires are not right. They're unrighteous. The remainder of the chapter goes on to really speak to that and describe how Babylon is going to fall. The Lord outlines five woes about Babylon to the prophet. He says, woe to Babylon for all their theft and their extortion. Woe to them for building by their unjust gain. Woe to them by expanding their kingdom and adding to all their cities through bloodshed. Woe to them for exporting their corrupt culture. They bring it in and they turn everybody into what they are, which is idolaters and worshipers of false gods. And so that's the final woe then. Woe to them for worshiping all the false gods and making man-made idols. And the Lord said, Habakkuk, my right hand is coming. My right hand is coming around to Babylon too. They've plotted ruin, they will be ruined. They've plundered many, they will be plundered. I've got it all under control. Began there in verse four. The enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Habakkuk received the answer. God has this. God has everything in control. He had a plan. The enemy's going to go down too. But let's not miss the second part of verse number four. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. There's a contrast there in that verse. The enemy is proud. His desires are not upright. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now here the prophet thought that Judah was more righteous than Babylon. Perhaps he thought himself righteous. But it seems the Lord is saying, where's the faith? Where is your faith? He had heard from God. He had now learned from God. And he would change his attitude. That third chapter that he wrote extols the greatness of God. It, it rehearses all the wonderful deeds that God has done. It, it extols all of his power and greatness. It's a beautiful psalm, and he releases everything to God. And when it comes to dealing with the enemy, Habakkuk wrote, I will wait patiently. I will wait patiently. That's uh, verse 16 of chapter 3. And he ended his song this way. This is Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the oil crop fails and the fields produce no food, there, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. He had come to his conclusion. It doesn't matter how terrible things get. 
No figs, no grapes, no no olives, no flocks, no flocks of sheep, no flocks of cattle or herds of cattle. In other words, the nation could totally fall. Everything could fall around me. He began the book by saying, Lord, everything's collapsing. And here at the end, he says, if everything collapses, I'll proclaim my faith. I will rejoice in the Lord God, my Savior. He is my strength. So he's really done a 180-degree turn. Now, a few minutes ago, I said, if you're coming to God in prayer and holding up your righteousness before God, make sure you've got a good understanding of what it means to be righteous in the sight of God. See, God had reminded Habakkuk, and that reminder extends to us. Righteousness is connected to faith and faithfulness. How faithful had the people in Judah been? How faithful had they been toward God? Not so much. Now you can read through the Old Testament and hear it over and over and over again. How faithless they were. How they did not believe. How they rejected God time and again. I'll give you just a very, very uh, brief look into it from one Psalm, Psalm 78. Here's some excerpts. Verse 22. They did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Verse 32, in spite of his wonders, they did not believe. Verse 37, their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful. 57, they were disloyal and faithless. They didn't believe God. And what does that equate to unrighteousness? They didn't trust, they didn't believe, no faith. Habakkuk made an attempt to claim righteousness, the righteousness of Judah before God. And God, in essence, asks back, where's the faith? Now, we have our moments, don't we, when we look up and say, hey, God, don't you see what's happening all around? It's not the time to point at the other guy. It's not the time to say, oh, I didn't start this. It's not my fault. It's not the time to say I'm the good one. Like Habakkuk, when we get confused or discouraged, we may need to reorient our attitude, especially if we think we deserve or we're justified and think we're right, we're right, and God should just do what we tell him to do. You shouldn't do that, God. No, no, you should do what I'm saying because I'm right here. Remember, our righteousness before God, our righteousness in the eyes of God Almighty, our creator, is by believing, by faith. God's response to the prophet is repeated to us in the New Testament several times. In the letter to the Hebrews, there it is. Habakkuk, chapter 2, the the righteous will live by faith. In the letter to the Galatians, it's quoted. In the letter to the church at Rome, Paul quotes it there too. We can look at any one. I'll give you Romans 1.17. It begins, 
for in the gospel, for in the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news about our salvation in Jesus Christ, Jesus who knew no sin. The gospel is Jesus who took my penalty. He took my penalty for for my sin to the cross, and he took everyone's penalty for their sin to the cross. That's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus, who knew no sin, took on my sin and the sin of the world that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's an amazing thing. We can become the righteousness of God by believing this gospel. And isn't that quite an exchange? Think about that for a minute. I'm guilty. I have, I'm I'm guilty in the sight of God for my sin. I need to deal with it. And how do I deal with it? I come to Christ who died for me. This is the gospel. And he will exchange righteousness for my sin when I believe that his sacrifice took care of my sin. That's an amazing exchange. He took our sin and he offered us righteousness that when we believe by faith in all that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us, in God's eyes, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. What an exchange. And that's why Paul could write to this church in Rome for the In the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Jesus, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. And he quotes here from the prophet we've been reading from this morning. The righteous will live by faith. When we have questions, and we're confused and we're upset and we've got this argumentative attitude and we're confounded and we don't like what's happening all around, drop that attitude. Release that attitude before you go to God. Come with Jesus in front of you. Come with Jesus in front of you with faith, believing his sacrifice in the giving of his life. Remove the obstruction of sin, remove the barrier that God would see us as unrighteous. And now that's gone. And approach God, believing God sees in you the son he sent to take your place and receive your penalty. You know, come to God in that way. And then wait. We might have to wait. Not with this Whatever, God, I'm going to stand on the wall because I don't believe it. I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait. Not like that. Not like that. Not, not some attitude where you're going to prove God wrong. With, with the attitude of patience, God, I am listening. Hey, God, I'm listening. Wait like Habakkuk did after he learned the lesson. He waited patiently, knowing God was in control, regardless of what was happening all around him. Lord, I'm waiting patiently. And proclaim your faith. Proclaim your righteousness. I will rejoice 
in the Lord. I will be joyful in Jesus, my Savior. He is my strength. And when we go to the Lord like that, things can change. And I believe wholeheartedly they will. They will. If you've never, you've never thought that even possible, you haven't really stepped into this place that we call faith, believing that Jesus did this, that's a step you need to take. Because I'll tell you what, the world around you, it'll confound you, it'll bring you down every time. We'll get twisted up, knotted up about all the things happening around us, whether it's the world, whether it's our family, whether it's work, whatever. It will tear us down. But we have a God, a God who has an eternal plan, a plan that's beyond this world, and a plan for the restoration of our, of our souls to be in relationship with him from now through eternity, an amazing thing. He'll exchange our sin for his righteousness. And if you've never received that today, I say, I invite you, why not? Why not? What do you have to lose? What have you got to lose? Like an ulcer about what's going on in the world around you? All the burden you've been carrying? You've do have that to lose, and you've got righteousness to gain. I want to pray as we close. I invite everyone to stand. And if you've, uh, if you've never, if you've never ever received what Jesus has, now's the time. And if you've been Christian for a week, a, a year, ten years, all your life, but you're getting tempted to just sort of have that attitude, or you're feeling like. I don't understand why God's not listening because all this craziness is happening around me. Release it and be like Habakkuk. Lord God, you're my Savior. Jesus, you're my Savior. I'll find my strength in you. And pray to wait patiently. Let's pray, Lord, Father, God in heaven, I thank you for the word that you give through your prophet. You spoke to him, but we can learn from it. I thank you for that, God, and we can learn our righteousness is in us. I can't look up to you and say, I'm right and you're wrong. And forgive me if I've ever had such an attitude. Forgive me if I'm carrying it right now. Lord, for anyone in this room who's never believed they could receive righteousness through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. God, I just pray if there's a heart reaching out to you right now saying, I've never done that. I've never really believed Jesus could do that for me. God, I'm praying and asking you'd meet that person. Lord, you would reveal yourself as true to them, that they would lay down their sin, their burdens, repent and turn to you. And Lord, God, Jesus, You'll be their righteousness. The gospel is true. And we believe it. Lord, I just pray that anyone, anyone here who's, who's reaching out to you right now, you, you would tangibly respond. Thank you, Lord. God, for any one of us who 
may have had that attitude. We may, may have been coming to you argumentative. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to drop it and see you've got everything in control. Help us to release to you an attitude of right, an attitude of I'm in charge. And say, you're, you are. You are God. You're in charge. You know what you're doing. I'll stand patiently waiting, and I commit it all unto you, God, my Savior and my strength. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. Encourage them. Carry them. Be the rock beneath them, God, as they leave here. I pray that anyone who's struggling with that right now would be able to just release that, that bad attitude and turn to you patiently. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for blessing us. Lord, as your people go, keep them. Watch over them. Protect them. And return all to praise and worship you again. We ask it, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.